Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, gosh. Hi. Welcome to Telling Everybody Everything, March 30th, almost April, which is very exciting because that feels like it's almost the summer. Not that we get a summer in the UK, but we get like some kind of semblance of a summer and the children are off for half term soon the easter bunny is on the way if that's what you celebrate religiously if not maybe you hide chocolates and do an egg hunt regardless of your affiliation with you know theology it's an exciting time i like it we've had great weather in the uk and i always around this time of year love to throw that in my canadian friends and family faces because it's absolutely freezing in Canada. Snow and wind and hell. And here, ah, we get a nice little spring reprieve before it goes cold again and then gets medium, not ever hot. But that's the kind of weather that I love. That is the kind of moisture in the air, the humidity that is going to give you the skin that we all want. Thank you for listening last week to my special episode about skincare. That was a lovely, light, friendly, fun topic. This week, oh Lord, Catherine Ryan, your good friend, is in the tabloids again. Catherine Ryan slaps back, hits out, slams Will Smith. I feel like journalism now is about copy pasting people's Instagram and that's fine with me. Uh, I mean, I'd rather not really be in the tabloids about this because I just want it to go away. But if you missed the Oscars, which we all did, because nobody watches the Oscars. I've said it before and I've said it again. The older I get, I just think I'm turning into a grandpa. I don't care about awards. I never wanted awards. I always knew what really mattered in life and that was a heated swimming pool. I don't need awards. But the Oscars are a big night in Hollywood. And I understand why more and more people turn their backs on that. It's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm really concerned about the Ukraine. That's why I'm going to wear a Ukrainian flag on my Oscars dress and not actually do anything tangible about it to help. It's very much she-she, champagne, whining and dialing, congratulating yourselves in Hollywood type of affair. Nobody really watches it as much as they used to. It used to be, you know, the biggest night in television. And now I think numbers have dwindled. I loved to see that the Oscar hosts this year were Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, three very funny women. I think Tina Fey and Amy Poehler must have hosted the Oscars. Maybe that was a different award show. I don't know, but I know that loads of comedians have hosted in the past because the Oscars, even in their, you know, pat on the back, 
stale, woke Hollywood uh, vibeness are first and foremost about having a laugh, celebrating your peers and, you know, your own projects. But the iconic celebrity roast monologue has always, always, always been part of the Oscars. And it's fun for people at home to watch actors who take themselves way too seriously have to show a little bit of a sense of personality, sense of humor, laugh at themselves for once in their fucking lives. That's my favorite part. I love a roast monologue. It sounds like, oh, that's easy for you to say, Catherine, but no one's roasting you. I love being roasted too. I used to be a judge on roast battle. I have done roast battle, you know, competitions myself in other countries like other countries no just Canada and the U.S. not like loads of other countries when I've been back home and in America I have been roasted by uh, Sarah Tiana brilliantly and other comedians I love the format I understand it's not for everyone but guys at the Oscars the comedian is paid booked hired to roast the celebrities in the room why because those celebrities are wearing hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of jewelry, fashion. They are usually very rich and successful millionaires and they can take it. It's one night of the year that it's like, all right, we're going to roast all of you on your special night. Because those people who understand the language of roasting understand that it's a language of love. It's not meant to be nasty. It's not to be like, haha, that take that bitch right before you win your prize. It's not like that. It's like, Um, I don't even know how to describe it for an audience that has become so fucking stupid that you don't even deserve comedy anymore. What has gone on, if you somehow missed it, is, no, I didn't watch the Oscars, but I woke up in the morning and I had texts from my friends and family saying, how do you feel about the slap? What happened in a nutshell was Chris Rock was doing uh, something on stage, celebrity roast monologue portion, whatever. And he said, amongst other things that I never saw because I only saw clips online, I don't know what else he talked about, but I'm sure he had loads of jokes or loads of jokes that he maybe didn't get to tell because of events that would ensue. He said, oh, Jada Pinkett Smith's in the audience tonight. Oh, Jada, G.I. Jane 2, looking forward to it. G.I. Jane number one was a military film starring Demi Moore. And Jada Pinkett Smith has shaved, by the way, it's not that all her hair has fallen out. I think patches potentially have fallen out due to an autoimmune disease called alopecia, not terminal, uh, just something that makes your hair fall out. She has chosen to shave all of the rest of her hair. You can tell because you can see, you know, she's got this beautiful uh, fade, like shading on her head from the follicles. Great. I am not in a position to speak about black women's hair. I know that it is a nuanced, very loaded issue, but Chris Rock made a whole documentary about it. If you wish to watch it, it's called Good Hair. He made this advocating for black women and their experience and their hair. Fine. This is not my place. And I think a lot of us get lost in the minutia of what was said. We don't need to be arguing over this was said, that was said, it shouldn't have been said. I'm all for constructive conversation, but, you know, this is not my business. Every once in a while, a white lady needs to sit back and go, this is not about me. I'm just going to listen to this. Fine. So that bit of it, not my business. Hair, black woman's hair, no, I'm out. But this is what I understand. 
Jada Pinkett Smith suffers from alopecia, autoimmune disease. She's decided to shave her head to deal with patchiness from hair falling out. Fine. Demi Moore starred in the original G.I. Jane, and she is a glorious icon. I would look forward, by the way, to a G.I. Jane 2 starring Jada Pinkett Smith. I think that would be a great film. It's a great film. It's not as though he compared her to like, I don't know, what's something bald? I don't even know a reference for something bald. Uh, Tom Allen? I love Tom Allen. But it's not as though he compared her to something that you wouldn't feel like was a... I mean, I, I think it would even be a compliment to be compared to Tom Allen. I wish that for my own life, my own countenance and my own career. But it's not like he compared her to like, let's say the cartoon on the Megabus. G.I. Jane, Demi Moore, one of the most beautiful Oscar winning, I believe, characters of all time. Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith's husband, was with her at the time. He laughed that we could see on the monitors. But then he noticed that his wife's expression was not... She did not think this was funny. She shook her head. She looked very despondent over these G.I. Jane comments from the comedian on stage, Chris Rock. So in an instant, and I didn't even get to see the transition and thought, Will Smith's on stage. No security stopping him from going on stage because this is the level of wealth and privilege that we're dealing with. Will Smith can just go on stage during Chris Rock's monologue. Chris laughs for a second, chuckles, oh, hey, hey, hey. You know, he can tell Will's uh, maybe doing a bit about being upset. You know, maybe he's going to take the microphone and say something funny uh, because, of course, Chris Rock and Will Smith have known each other for a really long time. But instead, Will Smith appears to slap Chris Rock across the face and Chris goes, whoa, I mean, what? it was a G.I. Jane joke. Will takes his seat again, sits back down and goes, keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. You might not have seen all of this because the clip is censored in the UK, but you can watch it from different countries or if you have a VPN blocker. Um, and then it kind of gets intense. The atmosphere is like, oh, hang on. You can see that all the other actors are trying to put it together like, what? What has happened here? The world is a stage. We don't know what's real, what's not real. Of course, they don't know what's real and what's not real. This is why I hate actors. Uh, I mean, I've misspoken. I don't hate all actors. I hate good actors. If you're a shit actor, you're probably a really good person and I like you a lot. But when you're a good actor, you don't know who to be unless someone gives you a script. It is your job to be a vessel. So all I'm looking at are all these like glitterati vessels of people, soulless, beautiful creatures who are like, Oh, Daddy, what is happening now? Is the is the men in black upset? Why is Will Smith sitting down yelling a minute? Who wrote this? Am I in a drama now? You know, just trying not to frown and like crack the Botox that they've had. No shade. I will be getting Botox again soon once I can fit it in my schedule and I'm no longer breastfeeding. Oh, what is happening? And they're all very confused. He kind of gets the vibe that this is real, Will Smith. And there are people who disagree. They think it was set up, whatever. I don't know. I don't care. What has happened, though, is that it looks like, regardless of the motivation or what's true or what's false or what's, uh, you know, I saw people online saying, oh, this was an ad for Pfizer because Pfizer is a sponsor of the Oscars and they've got a new drug for alopecia coming out. Well, well, well. And there's all kind of conspiracy involved because Will Smith and Jada have been linked to Scientology. You know, none of that 
again, is any of my business. I really don't give a shit. I feel like it's inconsequential. And again, let's not get caught up in the minutia of like, well, that joke was over the line. Well, he shouldn't have said that. Well, you can't watch your wife be insulted and do nothing. It's like, well, yeah, you can. You can. Your job when you go to the Oscars, which Will and Jada boycotted in 2016, by the way, because there weren't enough black winners and nominees. Fair enough. But here they are at the Oscars tonight. Is that, um, yeah, you understand the history of the Oscars, the roast format, and you learn to have a little laugh at yourself. And if you can't, then you stay at home. And it doesn't matter whether you think an alopecia joke is over the line or whether I think an alopecia joke. It doesn't matter because it's a joke. We have totally lost sight of this, in my opinion, and that media and audiences are all of a sudden experts and they choose to take jokes literally they choose to hear something in the context of a celebrity comedy roast and they print it and they go why would someone say that well again like it's not your priest saying this to you or your child's teacher or your mortgage advisor it's chris rock in the context of he's doing a light-hearted all you know inclusive comedy roast to millionaires who are famous and you're supposed to be able to have a fucking sense of humor about yourself what you are not under i'm sorry any circumstances allowed to do is actually assault someone and i know that my opinion in my circle anyway uh well not my circle necessarily i think most comedians are on my side but i mean like in famous uh, the, the friends that I keep across, you know, lots of different sort of privileged circles, they seem to be like, oh, no, no, Will Smith was over the line. Like, I understand. It was just a slap. It's like, well, hang on. No, because if you accept what Will Smith did as being OK, then what you're essentially saying is that anyone who doesn't like what you say as a comedian can walk on stage into your space and hit you. And that to me is fucking bananas. So it means I could be at a corporate, I could be on stage doing stand up, I could be anywhere. And I'm not just making it about me. I mean, my community, you know what I mean? There is a conversation to be had, and I'm listening to what black women have to say about hair in that community. Well, in my community of comedians, I don't think that anyone should be emboldened, any audience member who watched this act at the Oscars should be emboldened, oh, there's the police, finally, to walk on stage and hit a comedian, slap a comedian over a joke that they didn't like. One person on stage was doing their job, and that's Chris Rock. He's been booked and probably paid, I don't really know, how the Oscars works. Uh, Maybe it's one of those things where they're like, oh, it'll be good exposure. I don't know. He's been booked to come on stage and tell jokes. If Chris Rock stood on stage and didn't tell jokes, if you just went, welcome to the Oscars. Well done, everyone. I love your pearls. Oh, aren't you clever? Oh, you're looking skinny. You know, that's not what his job is. So he comes on stage and he jokes. It doesn't matter if what you think he said was over the line or not, because that's so subjective, completely arbitrary. It's, there are some jokes in comedy that you're not going to like always. And that's what makes it dicey and interesting. And if you don't like it, you are completely out of line. 
if you want to hit someone over it. And I cannot believe that anyone disagrees with that, that anyone's defending Will Smith. What's going to happen when regular people watch this, whether it was staged or not? Again, I don't give a fuck. Regular people watch this. And let's say like a young man goes, oh, if I want to defend my girlfriend, I can just smack someone. Well, that young man's not going to be a famous millionaire. That young man's going to get arrested. That's not great. Will Smith's not really helping. And I know he's apologized. And I also know that Chris Rock has apologized and said, no, I didn't really know about the alopecia that was over the line. Do you know what? You say what you have to say to keep the peace. I'm sure he wants to remain friends with Will and Jada, but I don't know. This line, this line is everywhere now. And the line keeps moving. And it's like, I feel like a few weeks have gone by where comedians have just been vilified for, you know, nothing comedians don't want to hurt you and this is the other thing is it's not up to me to say you know oh jada should laugh at herself or it's not my business again who wants to laugh at themselves but i can tell you from my own experience that it is in your best interest to learn to laugh at yourself i have many diseases you know that about me let me list them i had stage two cancer in my early 20s I wrote jokes about that. And I really, from my own, you know, boundaries, I don't feel like it would have been below the belt for someone else to joke about that. Then I had a skin cancer after that that wasn't very serious. Then I was diagnosed with systemic lupus, which is kind of like an everyday thing. Worse than alopecia, if you want to compare them. Um, I had trichotillomania. All my eyelashes and eyebrows fell out. Wrote about that in my book, The Audacity, if you want to know more. Um, I, what else? I have HPV. Got that from my husband. Worth it. He's a, he's a great shag. And I think that's it. What else do I have? Oh, I had miscarriages. Those were sad for me. But do you know what? I don't want to, again, tell anyone how to live their lives. But from my own personal experience, laughing about any tragedy, any hardships in your life, uh, for me anyway, is helpful. And what's my evidence? Well, I don't know. Lots of the world is really struggling with all kinds of uh, trauma and it's a great privilege that I don't have any of that trauma. I, I see that that's lucky for me. I'm very just lucky. And I know that no trauma or mental illness is anyone's fault. But I live my life in a way where I'm like, well, do you know what? Nothing matters very much. Little matters at all. The last thing that matters is like me and my ego. And I can always take a joke and always have a laugh. Does that make me better than anyone else? No, but I think it's a great coping mechanism. It's a great tool to have in life. And if you can't do that, then fine. But you should do that, in my opinion, for your own well-being. I'm always telling people this, people close to me, people that I love. It's like you really, for your own benefit, for no one else's, you really need to have a laugh at yourself. And my worry is not just for my industry and my peers and other comedians like me getting slapped on stage, though that is part of my worry because it's happened to a lot of my friends already who aren't famous, who aren't Chris Rock, who wouldn't have had security if it escalated. There are tons of stories of comedians getting assaulted on stage or after the show. But um, or like having to hide in the dressing room until audience members who've threatened them have left and like run to the car. That happens all the time because people can't take a joke. Uh, my worry is also, though, just for like what's happening in culture. Like we're being told now, I think on a big scale that 
no, this is off limits. That's off limits. You can't joke about this. You can't joke about that. You can't say one thing or another thing because you might you might hurt an entire group of people. You you have to be so careful all the time. And that's good. It's a lot of that I see that it's coming from the right place and it's very progressive. And I never want to hurt people's feelings. I never want to hurt people's feelings. But I thought that being woke or being progressive, whatever you want to call it, was about avoiding hurting people's feelings. But it feels now like it's turned a tide and it's about hurting people's feelings. It's about like, you can't say this to me. You're getting hit in the face. You're getting fired. I'm going to go online and find out who your employer is and ask them to fire you. It's like, oh my gosh, we've had a hard time worldwide, like on a collective grief scale. There was COVID and the pandemic and lockdowns and now there's a war. And it's like, what? at what point do we start distinguishing once again from like what's meant to make us smile and like have a little humility about ourselves and go, yeah, yeah, haha. Oh, and what's meant to actually cause pain. And that's my main worry is that people cannot make that distinction anymore. People don't have the capability to identify jokes and like real threats to themselves. And they're so triggered all the time and so just incapable of nuance and context and it's like whatever other conversations you want to have about what happened on that stage is not my business but my bottom line is you cannot slap us you cannot use physical let's call it aggression if not violence because I know that Chris Rock declined uh, to make a police report against Will Smith I would have done the same thing you don't need to get the police involved but I just feel on a on a morality level, you want to side with the person who committed an actual like potential assault over the person who joked about G.I. Jane. If someone compared me to Demi Moore, that would be the best day of my life. It's tricky. And have all the other conversations that you want. It's not my business. I'm listening, especially to the conversations being had by the, you know, protect black women movement. I, I'm on board with that. I have been careless about black women in the past too. I did material about Beyonce where I thought I was being celebratory, but I fetishized her strength, which I've learned now denies her vulnerability and care. I know about that now, but my intentions were good. My intentions were saying, oh my gosh, Beyonce's the best. I want to be just like Beyonce. Uh, so I'm listening to that community. But, but in the meantime, don't slap comedians. If you think you can, you're fucking wrong. I don't know what's going on with the open relationship, going home to sleep in separate beds community. I feel like that has a lot to do with what happened with Will and Jada. But I mean, just don't slap us is my main takeaway. And I know that today I'm in the Metro and the Independent and the Daily Mail and Catherine Slim, OK Magazine, what else? Lad Bible Evening Standard. Listen, guys, I always appreciate you running the recent pics of me since I've lost the baby weight. Cheers for that. But I don't want to make anybody mad or disagree, you know, in a, in a way that makes people, oh, Catherine, you think someone can joke about alopecia? Yes, I do. I do. I very broadly think people should be able to joke about anything because I understand the difference between a joke 
and an actual statement or threat. It depends what's said. It depends who's saying it. It depends when and where. It depends, you know, the context behind it, the intention, the history. Like, this is a lot of work for people to do and they just don't want to do it anymore. They're like, I hear a bad word. I guess what I'm saying, like, I suppose it's a warning of just, you need to get on board with jokes again or suffer their disappearance because what you're going to do is push comedy into such a teeny tiny corner and I'm, you know you know me I'm not out here defending any type of hate speech or being like you free speech man you should be able to say whatever you want that's not what I'm saying I'm saying some things are clearly jokes not aimed to hurt anyone and if you don't like it you don't like it and that's a separate conversation but when you start hitting someone who says a joke that you don't like and then you're not reprimanded in any way and you win an Oscar afterwards and everyone in the room gives you a standing ovation. I mean, it's not it's not hard to tell the difference between hate speech and jokes and really harmful incitements of violence and oppression and jokes. Do you know what I mean? This was a joke. And what's going to happen is no one's going to tell you jokes anymore. And there's not going to be any more roast comedy or any more laughter or any more fun or any more humility from like fucking celebrities. It's not like he went into an orphanage and said it. And then you're just going to be left with Che Diaz. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And now to the emails. Catherine, we live in Sydney, Australia. And though my husband and I have good incomes, the cost of living in Sydney, including a mortgage in a trendy part of town, is considerably expensive. I work in the type of profession where I won't be able to work part-time or flexibly when I do go back to work. My husband works 100% from home. In our part of town, childcare is expensive, and we'd require five days per week for our children. By comparison, the cost of an au pair is very reasonable at half the cost. My question is, I love the idea of having extra help, but as my husband works from home full time, I'm paranoid that he will fall in love with the au pair. We've never had any kind of infidelity in our 11-year relationship, so I'm positive that my fears come directly from the stereotype of the husband sleeping with the nanny, portrayed in porn, and let's face it, celebrity culture. 
Ben Affleck, I'm looking at you, Jude Law. Several of my friends have worked as au pairs during gap years, and nothing untoward has ever happened in their careers. My therapist is very supportive of the idea of getting an au pair. She knows that I work in a very demanding role and literally could not afford to go part-time or not work if we want to continue our lifestyle. So is my paranoia justified? Am I asking for trouble bringing a young woman into our house? What an incredible question. I was single for a long time, or I was dating men, but they didn't live with me and I didn't like them anyway. So I hired back when I needed a babysitter for Violet. Of course, Violet's nearly 13 now. She basically raises herself. Um, I hired the hottest girl in Crouch End, Ruby. I don't know if she listens to my podcast. Hot, hot, hot. And she was available. I thought to myself at the time, is she available because people don't want her around their husbands? And I had a real laugh about it. I was like, well, I'll hire all these hot, available babysitters then because presumably there are people who feel insecure about having them in the house because there's no one, you know, no one for them to poach from my life. Good luck to them if they try to date, you know, the kind of losers I was dating. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, they had better standards than I did. But anyway, um, and now I think, oh, well, we did for a short time interview some young women f- to watch Violet uh, during the filming of Ready to Mingle, which you can still watch on the ITV Hub. It was a dating show that filmed out in Devon and I needed to be there for three weeks. Violet still needed to go to school. So we were like, you know, this is a good opportunity to meet some young women, see how they go with Violet for three weeks. And then when the baby's born, we didn't know the baby would be Fred. Uh, You know, maybe we could have someone. And there were some hot, hot ladies. And I would joke at the time, like, oh, no, we can't hire her, Violet. Like, Bobby's going to run away with her. We interviewed one young woman who'd lived in New York for a time. She was really into fitness and she was really beautiful. But um, at the end of the day... No, I think I would worry about it. I was just going to say, I wouldn't really care having someone like that around Bobby. And I do trust Bobby, so I don't think it's about trust. I think it's just about tempting fate. I think that if I do away with like everything I know that I should say to you right now, which is, oh, well, you know, who cares if your relationship's strong? And, you know, if push came to shove and the best nanny for the job was like a hot young woman, I think it would probably be fine. And I trust Bobby that he actually loves me for me because he could get someone way hotter if he really wanted that. But still, I'm trying to like strip all that away and question how my biology feels about it. And I do feel a little territorial. I do feel like I wouldn't want that. But you know, my friend Jen has a very beautiful nanny. She's in the house five days a week and Jen doesn't worry about it. I think that when you see it in celebrity culture, if I could go back to what I said before the break, we're dealing with actors. Same with porn. A lot of those people consider themselves to be actors. And I think that actors are trained liars who should be punished, yet they are rewarded. I think they're soulless vessels who take on the incarnation of whatever next script they are given. I think they fall in love very easily. I think their egos are out of control. I think they're mostly very vain. Again, I'm not talking about all actors. I'm friends with a few actor comedians, but it's the comedian bit of them that keeps them honest. 
I don't think you'd have anything to worry about, but I do understand why you wouldn't want that. But luckily for you, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, incompatible au pairs that you could get. What is your husband's type? I mean, I know, listen, sometimes their type is just different to you because they're different. I get that. So maybe there's no skirting around the issue. All right. I understand where you're coming from because I would feel the same, I think. But ultimately, I think giving the most wise 360 examination of the situation, it's good to put temptations in front of your husband, maybe. Because if you can't survive that, you were never really meant to be together in the first place. And I have come to accept the wisdom in my late 30s that if someone walks out of your life, you let them go. And if something tempts your husband away, for example, in this situation, then he really was never meant for you. And I can honestly say that as much as I wouldn't really be on board with putting like some hot woman in front of Bobby five days a week, if he left me for her, I would thank God. I would. I'd be like, oh, good God. Great to find out he was such a bastard. I wouldn't have wanted to find that out some different way 10 years from now. Uh, I would happily let them go. I would not fancy him anymore if he did that. I'd probably be hurt in the first instance, but I'm not 25. I'm 38. And I would go, huh, what a loser. Have fun living with the au pair. Oh, guess what? Both of you are homeless now. Although I would have to pay for his house. Oh no, what's going on here? This is titled 2.41 AM crisis email. Catherine, I'm a 20-year-old student writing you this from a rotting uni kitchen just to set the scene. A few months ago, I was approached by a lovely man whom I've been seeing since our first conversation revealed strange coincidences. We're from the same hometown. We went to the same uni, studied the exact same course, seven years apart. But this is my dilemma. I feel things are starting to get more serious and it's freaking me out. When I found out it was about to be his 30-year-old birthday, 30th birthday, I lost my shit. I knew his age from the beginning and it just never felt relevant to me. I was enjoying my time with him. We get along so well. He's a great person, but this is why I feel so awful. I don't know if I'm being unfair for just presuming he's going to want things I've never even considered yet, like kids, marriage, just because of his age. He's never brought these things up to me. He started to talk about things he wants to do once I'm his girlfriend, so I feel he's going to ask me out soon. Oh no, anal. And it would be my first official relationship. Is saying yes misleading him into believing I see a real future with him? I'm not saying I don't. I just genuinely don't know. And I don't want to waste his time, which I know is a shitty thing to say because I'm just unfairly presuming he's looking to seriously settle down because of his age, but I can't help it. I want what's best for him, and I don't know if I am that. I feel like suddenly I'm in too deep to even bring it up because whenever he'd ask for our age difference, if it bothered me from the beginning, I said no. I'd never thought about it any more than just being two numbers until now. I feel like my only option is to grow up and just get on with it or run away, which makes me sad because I really do care. What do I do? Well, you relax, first of all. Do you think this man is asking himself, oh gosh, it's her first relationship. Am I prepared to give her exactly what she needs at this time? Am I going to be in this for the long haul? And I'm going to be able to honor all the things that she has ahead in her young life. He's not thinking that at all. You're thinking all about him. And if you can fulfill what you believe with no evidence that he needs and he wants, and he is not thinking about that. He's thinking, I've met 
this young woman who's 10 years my junior we have a lot in common we get on great sex I can imagine is formidable I would like to make her my girlfriend and see where it goes from there you are over analyzing this to death and he I promise you is not analyzing it at all he's just flying by the seat of his pants he really likes you which is fine you know maybe this is a relationship that will last forever and it's the right thing or maybe it will last a year and both of those outcomes are absolutely okay and you don't owe him anything you don't owe him a promise of forever you don't owe him uh, all these imaginary scenarios see you could i feel like you can never uh, predict what's going to go on in a relationship and women historically stereotypically not all the time but in many instances do this planning and overthinking and Oh my God, what? Fred's just woken up from his nap and I think he can almost climb out of his crib. I gotta go, I'll be right back. I've never seen him do that before. Usually I give him a few minutes to wake up peacefully, but oh no, he's laying back down. You see, you just have to be ready for everything in life. Date this man, just see where it goes. And the moment that you feel like it's done and you know when it's done, you get the ick. That's what women of my generation call it. It's called, it's very scientific, the ick, when you just know you can't be around him anymore. Then don't lie to him, don't cheat on him, but just be like, listen, I hoped that this could be something different, but I feel now that I need to be on my own for a while. I need freedom. It isn't going where I thought it would. We're better off as friends. And that, I know this is your first relationship, so you don't know, but that is all you owe someone. And you'll feel sad and they'll feel sad, but that's okay. It doesn't mean that you've been a bad person. You gave it your best shot. You went into it with open arms and an open mind and just have fun. Stop this overanalyzing. You, you cannot avoid people getting hurt in a relationship. You just kind of have to dive in and try to be honest and fair and that's it. And you, even marriages, you can't promise forever. So just have fun with this guy. Sounds like you really like him and think about how you honor your own truth and your own feelings. Don't think so much about him or about the future or what he wants. If you have a question, ask it, be honest, and it'll all turn out great. Five years of great, five months of great, 50 years of great, who knows? It'll be great. Catherine, how do I just get the fuck over it? Catherine, I'm a 23-year-old female suffering from a bruised ego. I went on a date last week, and after feeling like it went well, a few days later, the guy said he didn't like me in that way and didn't want to lead me on, but was happy to remain casual, a.k.a. fuck on the side. I didn't mean to throw my own pity party. He's allowed to not want to date me, obviously, but I can't help but feel like I've been hit with... My teen, early adult life rejection problem. Every time it happens, I still feel taken back to that time. I feel the sting. Deep down, I just want a guy to be crazy about me. More like Bobby K crazy, not Kanye crazy. So that I have to be the one doing the rejecting for once. But until that point, Catherine, I want to ask you, how do you cope with romantic rejection. I wish I had the skills to just brush it off. So I'd love any advice that you have. Do you know even I don't have the skills to brush it off. I am a lot softer in my real life than I am in my stage life. I have not dealt with very much romantic rejection in my life, I have to say. But that's because I've set the bar low and I've dated a lot of losers. Um, I suppose the closest thing to rejection would be one of them cheated on me a lot and I felt oh, so 
bad about myself every time that that happened. He had women on the side and I was like the girlfriend though. So like for some reason that made me feel better about myself, which it should not have. And now, I mean, I would not even get into a relationship with him, let alone tolerate that type of behavior. And I dated another guy who was really nice, but his interest in me kind of came in waves. Like sometimes he was really interested and then other times he could just be in a different city and not think about me at all. And I convinced myself that he had autism. I was like, oh, he has such little game that it manifests as game. He's not gaming me. He has autism. Not to say that people who have autism can't be in really wonderful, loving, fulfilling relationships, but I just felt like the interface was something I wasn't understanding with him. And then I asked him and he said he'd been tested 11 times and did not have autism, but apparently I was not the first woman to wonder. Um, I think it's okay to feel hurt by this and rejected. It's totally fine because you would be a robot if you didn't feel, you know, what's very natural emotion. You want someone to be interested in you and you certainly don't want someone to go, oh, I don't like you like that, but I will continue to fuck you. Like that's a terrible, I suppose he's being honest and I do appreciate that because there are loads of people who would just lead you on, keep seeing you and it takes people months and sometimes years to figure it out that he's just not that into you. This is just another guy who's not that into you. And I suppose the only advice I can give is that you are blessed to know this now. And then unless you're looking for just sex with someone, you don't need to waste any more time on him. I've been in relationships for years with people who are not that into me and I was not that into them. And when the right person comes along, which obviously this man is not the right person, it will be so easy and you won't feel rejected. You won't have to ask any of these questions and you won't have that, uh, that terrible, like insignificant, I'm not good enough feeling. And you'll be glad that guys like this one didn't waste your time. That's easier said than done. So I think accept all the invitations from your girlfriends to go out. Even if you feel shit, get out there. Eventually you'll start to enjoy it. Be in the mix, distract yourself. And it won't take very long for this man to become a distant memory. I don't like bread. And I know that bread is very popular, delicious, warm, fresh restaurant bread. People tell me all about it. They dip it in oils and they put butter on it. And sometimes it has seeds and they bake it themselves at home. They love it. They love it. It all sounds disgusting to me. But that's not anything bad about bread. Bread is everyone's favorite. I just don't like it. So this guy might not click with you for whatever reason. It's not a reflection of you or your shortcomings. It's just not a match. And you might be, you know, what do they say? You could be the juiciest, most delicious peach on the tree. But there's always going to be someone who doesn't like peaches. Ooh, this is something I have never heard of before. It says survivorship bias. Catherine, I'm curious as to what your opinion is on survivorship bias as a person who's successful in a highly competitive field. If you don't know, survivorship bias is, according to Wikipedia, the logical error of concentrating on the people or things that made it past... Oh, Bobby's calling me. Hang on. Hello? Hello? Hey, babe. How are you? Oh, I'm well. How are you? Good, good. Just finished it up there. How'd you play? Yeah, pretty good. But Ricky was extremely good. Ricky shot 73. What'd you shoot? 
79. Oh, still good. Both in the 70s. Yeah, but Ricky beat me by six strokes. Oh, well. So, he won the tournament. What's the prize? Uh, 200 pounds uh, vouchers at the pro shop at the Shire. Nice. I will never get that back. Oh, don't worry about it. It was wet today. You always play best in good weather. Did you have to carry your bags? No, no, I have that little um, trolley hmm. thing. How are you? I'm well. Fred's just asleep. I'm watching him on the monitor and doing my podcast. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're not at all. You know me. I was eating a bunch of uh, those root beer candies, and I had to stop anyway because they're so chewy. Classic. Yeah. All right. Well, I love you. I'm going to leave in like 15, and I'll be home like fuck an hour. So like, yeah, I'll be home 530. No rush. The little girls, the big girls, want to go potentially to Wagamama's with Fred when he wakes up. And I feel like I should do something nice for them, too. So maybe we might do that. But I'll text you, let you know either way. Yeah, okay. Um, you don't want to go, right. do you? No, I would if I, but I don't think the timing would work out, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Um, okay, well, I love you. Hope you had a good day, and I miss you. I love and you. You're the love of my life. <laughs> uh, you don't even know you're on the podcast, and you're being yeah, so you nice to me. son of a bitch. I hate. <laughs> okay, fine. I gotta go. Bye, I love you. Love you, bye. Bye. Yeah, I love him so much. I love him so much. Okay, uh, the logistical error of concentrating on the people or things that made it past some selection process and overlooking those that did not, typically because of their lack of visibility. This is definitely more prevalent in the arts because so many people see successful people on social media and they assume that they can be successful too when they do not see the many, many more people who were not successful. So I'm curious. As a successful person, what do you think of the survivorship bias? I totally understand where you're coming from. I think that if you're not in my industry, but you follow comedians, you go, well, all the comedians that I follow are on TV. They're doing great. I'm just going to get into comedy. And I think even, you know, I was guilty of that when I got into comedy. There wasn't social media back then when dinosaurs roamed the earth. But I just felt like it would be pretty easy. Um, and it was not. It took me a decade before I was ever approaching any level of success that you would probably recognize as successful. But I just, I think that ambivalence was a... Um, useful to me. I just, I, I had ignorance about it. I was like, well, how hard could this be? I went into life and I still go into life, everything, just going, how hard can this be? And that's a privilege, but I just go, I'm going to give it a go. And I think you should give it a go because when you look down, you're going to fall down. And when you look up, then your gaze is directed forward, you know, metaphorically. So if you go into every challenge thinking, well, why not me? He's really successful at it. She's really successful at it. If I work hard enough for long enough, I might be one of those. Because I don't think it is just the arts. I think even in uh, the legal field, we know that from watching Kim Kardashian try to pass the mini bar and fail, and she said, what, something like only 10% of people pass it. I think a lot of people try to do this or they try to do that, and they they end up leaving university without a degree or they try to be a dentist, but they, I don't know, get pregnant and they stop doing that for whatever reason life moves around that not everyone achieves uh, the goals that they set out to. Maybe they're not on social media as much as entertainers, but yeah, I think if you read any comedian or actor or singers like memoir, 
their like e true hollywood story is always fraught with failure and disappointment and i feel like that's what makes it fun if you just got something right away it wouldn't be fun and there have been studies about your brain and joy uh i'm paraphrasing because i don't know the exact study but joy doesn't come from achieving something it comes from failing and failing and trying again and failing and trying again and then achieving it like that's where the endorphins come from from the study says so i mean yeah there's survivorship bias i guess are you asking me if i have it or what do i think about other people who have it i mean i definitely recognize all the people that don't make it um and i was glad i didn't really know how hard it was when i started so I think it's it's maybe a good thing if you look at it that way. You should never look at the failures. You know, be mindful that if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. And you can pivot and move to something else. And it doesn't work for most people. And that's okay. But it could work for you. Everything that you want to do in life genuinely could work for you. It, you might have a full-time job that prevents you from gigging. You might have kids that prevent you from gigging. You might have a disability that prevents you from getting to some of the gigs as easily as someone else might, you know, but in some way, I think whether you're 50 or 60 or 90 years old, if you are blessed enough to still be alive, you should think about the people who are successful, not the people who have failed. So maybe survivorship bias, though unrealistic, you know, can help you. That was an impromptu little appearance earlier from my husband, Bobby Kay. You might remember last episode, he was answering some listener questions and he spoke about this post nut thing, which I was not even aware of where I think he said, again, we generalize on this podcast and we know that the things we say don't apply to everyone, every gender, everybody, you know, we recognize all your non-binariness. All right. So relax. Don't slap me. He was saying that some men don't know how they feel about someone until after they have ejaculated and then everything becomes clear. And this floored me. I have a message now from a female listener who says, Catherine, it is not just men who make a decision on their feelings for someone after they come. I know many women who do the same thing. Before I was with my wonderful long-term boyfriend, I had my fair share of testing the waters. I'm not a one-night stand type of person, not that there's anything wrong with that. I am wary who I have sex with and give up the golden egg to. The golden egg? I would get that checked, babe. Um, I have had many occasions where I've dated guys for a few weeks whom I've been very attracted to, casually getting to know them, make sure they're not a psycho. And many times when it's got to the stage where I feel comfortable with sex, I get the ick afterwards. It's kind of like a disappointment, I suppose, like they didn't perform to my expectations. It's rough and harsh, but once I've not felt that sexual spark during sex, I cannot continue to date them. I think most men are just animals who act on impulse, but perhaps it's the same for them. Maybe they too were dissatisfied with the woman or whatever sex. I'd be intrigued to hear Bobby Kay's opinion on this. Hmm, I will ask him. Oh, you haven't mentioned Fiona in a while. Did she find herself a man? Well, let me clear this up with Fiona. I was trying to find my makeup artist Fiona, a boyfriend on here for a while. She's been single for the last two years. But I mean, the pandemic's not the best time to meet someone. And a lot of people were offering up their recycling. Oh, take my ex-husband. Not interested. So I abandoned that pursuit for a while. And Fiona's very choosy. So no. 
Number one, I think what's standing in our way is Fiona's not actively looking and she doesn't go anywhere except to walk the dog on the beach. And secondly, all the uh, quote unquote eligible bachelors I've had on here have been complete trash. So I have not passed them on. But if you know someone for Fiona, I mean, I might as well throw it up again. It's nearly summer, summertime. I think she'd probably like to have a gin and tonic with someone on a patio if uh, if it was the right person. But I just think what she doesn't want to do is date a bunch of people to find out. And you know what? She shouldn't because I wasn't dating people when I found Bobby. Who the fuck knows? Um, I think what you describe as the ick is very different from lacking mental clarity before you ejaculate. Because I've had the ick about many people, but it's not as though I didn't really know how I felt about them until I arrived and then it was clear. Like, I mean, I've been in whole relationships and never, ever arrived once. Yeah, I think a lot of us have. So I think that ick didn't come from a lack of sexual chemistry. I haven't dated people for years and not had sexual chemistry, but that's just my own low standards. Um, I'm, I'm totally down with the ick though. I get what you mean, but that just comes from like being around them and their personality. A lot of times I would get the ick from someone's social media. I would go, I hate you on Twitter, but for some reason I tolerate you in real life. But the way they conducted themselves on Twitter kind of was their true essence. And I did end up getting the ick and breaking up with these people. Well, I would like, you know me, I love romance equality, uh, relationship equality. I like to think that women have the same ejaculatory clarity thing whatever you want to call it bobby called it something post nut <laughs> i mean bobby i'm gonna teach him you know his some decorum on this podcast i apologize but i'll put it to him i'll ask him what he thinks well that is all the time that we have for today i'm telling everybody everything if you would like to write me an email that address is telling everybody everything at gmail.com lots of listener engagement this week i feel almost like i need to throw in another bonus episode very soon of just questions and advice i'm gonna do that it's half term so guess who i've got on hand it is everyone's favorite guest violet ryan BK is also around when he's not golfing, and I think you guys deserve it. A lot of people seem to be reaching out for advice. As usual, mostly relationship advice, but some professional, it's, it's all over the map. And I'm sorry that I didn't get to more of them. But if you do have a question you've been wanting to ask me, maybe you asked it already, but I wasn't able to read it out, try to be clear, punchy, concise, get me that letter, and I will do my best. I will endeavor to answer your advice questions. Have a great week. Please look after each other and I'll see you next Wednesday. Hear you. I mean, you'll hear me. 